Welcome to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. Thanks for allowing us to share this time with you. Honestly, it's our favorite time of the day where we get to hang out together and talk about how the truth of God's Word can make a huge difference in your life. And that's what we're going to hear from Richard in a way that only he can do with words of hope, insight, and humor. You may be stuck in traffic or stuck in life. Either way, today's message is going to help get you on the right track as you learn how much God loves you right where you are. So let's get right into today's talk. Here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is The Gap. You know, it's amazing to me what a difference one person can make. But there's a number of stories in the scripture, and the one I want to start with today is in Genesis chapter 18. And I keep saying this, and you think, well, it's obvious, duh, you know, of course you're going to encourage people to read the Bible. Read the Bible. I mean, start the book of Genesis, start reading. There is some amazing stuff here that explains so much of what's going on on the planet. And maybe in your own life, you get a better understanding. But if you go back into Genesis chapter 18, there's a story here of Abraham. His name started out Abram. The H was added to his name after God made a deal with him, a covenant with him. And that Abraham was added, which signified the part of the name of God was in the name of Abraham. Abraham's like really old and he's got no kids and God has promised that he's going to bless Abraham and everybody, you know, this whole nation's going to come out of Abraham. And I mean, he's like 99, I think it is. And Sarah's way past any childbearing opportunities at this point. And there is something called a Christophany in the Old Testament where Jesus shows up. It's the pre-incarnate Christ. He can leave heaven and do what he wants to do, but he would literally leave heaven and come be on the earth. And Jesus shows up with what, as far as we can tell, are two angels. And he comes to Abram's tent and he starts talking to him and saying, you know, this is going to happen. Sarah's in the tent laughing. And if you follow the story, he says, well, who laughed? And, you know, Sarah said, well, I didn't. And she was nervous because, you know, here's God out there at the tent. And she knows it. She denied that she laughed, so now she's lying. And long story short, they have this kid named Isaac, and his name means laughter. That's how he got his name, because Sarah laughed, and her name was changed from Sarah to Sarai. That same H was added to her name. So Jesus comes, speaks to him, fulfills his promise. Abraham and Sarah get pregnant. And in this conversation, they get pregnant later, but in this conversation, when that part of it's done, these two angels leave, and Jesus, the Lord, it describes him as here, is still there with Abram. And for some reason here, you read the story and pick up maybe verse 16, chapter 18. It says, Then the men rose from there and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on the way. Now, it's interesting to me that an entire sin is named after a city. Sodomy is named after this city. There was stuff going on here, guys, that there is nowhere in Dallas, San Francisco, there's nowhere that I know of right now on the planet that rivals what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, you just think you know what happened in Sodom based on sodomy. It was way more twisted than that. And you'll see here in a minute how wild it got. The men rose from there and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? You know, he says, Well, I'm here. I've told him this much. I better tell him what I'm doing. Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, now listen to this. 
the Lord has come to the earth to talk to Abraham, but while he's here, he's going to make it Sodom because there's been so much stink made in prayer and just the wickedness is so unbelievable in this area, in this town, he's going to check it out. He is going in person to Sodom to find out what they're doing. So he says in verse 20, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I'll know it. I'm going to go check this out in person. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. So Abraham knows that his brother, by the way, Lot, lives in Sodom. When they had split up the territories and gone separate ways, Lot ended up down in this part of it, and Abraham where he was. So Abraham's thinking fast now, and he goes, okay, these two guys are going to Sodom. The Lord's going there too, and I know why. It's because he thinks there's some terrible stuff going on, and he knows it, and he's about to go down there and wipe that place off. I mean, it's scorched earth about to go down in Sodom. So they standing there, and Abraham, it's just Abraham and the Lord, verse 23, and Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now he's interceding now on behalf of his brother Lot and his family. And he says, Okay, now before you go, let me ask you a question, hypothetical. Would you wipe out a whole town if you know there's some good people there with the bad people? And then he gives these hypothetical things. If you've ever negotiated with God, this is, it's in the Bible. And Abraham starts with this. He says, well, suppose there were like 50 righteous within the city. There's 50 right people in the city. Would you also destroy this place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Would you spare the whole town if there were 50 people that were right with you in the whole town? Verse 25, far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? You can't go down there and wipe it out if there's 50 good people in the town. Verse 26, so the Lord said, if I find in Sodom, all right, I'll go with it. If I go to Sodom and find 50 righteous people within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Is that your final answer? Verse 27, then Abraham answered and said, indeed now I who am but dust and ashes, have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Now, I know what I'm doing and where I stand here. I don't want to push my limits. But he says, well, suppose there were like 45. Suppose there were five less than the 50 righteous. Would you destroy all the city for lack of five? Would you, would you let it go for 45? So he said, if I find there 45, I'll not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose there should be but 40. Abraham's like, okay, how many people do I know down there that might do the right thing, that might be living the right way, that might really be righteous? And he's running out of names. He said, what if there's just 40? So he said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. He's negotiating. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry. Now look, I know I'm pushing my limit. Don't be upset with me. And I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. So he said, I'll not do it if I find 30. Fine, 30. I won't destroy him for 30. And he said, indeed, now I've taken upon myself to speak to the Lord. I'm already in this, so let's just keep going. He says, okay, how about 20? Will you spare the city for 20? Suppose 20 should be found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. But once more, I'm going to go one more time. Suppose 10 should be found there. If you go to Sodom and find 10 righteous people, will you spare the whole city over those 10? And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10, if I can find 10 righteous people. 
So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Now, I'm not going to take the time to read you chapter 19, but I want you to go read what happens. Because these two angels go to Sodom. And when they go into town, Lot's at the gate of the city, and Lot meets them and invites them into his house. And all the men, not people, all the men in town find out that there are two new men in town. And Lot gets them in his house, takes them in to feed them, and there is this banging on the door. And there are men, the men of the city, are outside Lot's house, banging on the door, saying, we want the two men inside there. They were going to rape the men in the house. The men were going to rape the men. They had just shown up in town Fresh, new guys, we want them. It had gotten so bizarre that that's what was going on. And Lot has got two daughters who have never been married, two virgin daughters, and he offers his two daughters to the crowd if they will not touch these two angels. He's trying to protect the angels, and it's so twisted that he is now saying, look, I'll give you two virgins instead of two men. Will you take that? And they are literally banging, trying to tear the door down to get inside the house. You say, well, that's terrible. Let me tell you something. There are people with that same frame of mind on the planet today. The Lord had told Abraham, if I go down there and find 10 people who are doing the right thing, I will spare the entire city. Now, there's part of me, guys, that believes that our country has been spared because there is a remnant. There are somebody somewhere still doing the right thing, and God stays his hand of judgment. And people have said this repeatedly, if God doesn't do something to America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Because the same kind of wickedness, the same kind of sin, the same kind of depravity, twisted stuff is going on right here in our country. And I don't mind calling sin what it is, guys. It's just sin. That's what screwed the whole thing up to begin with, and it keeps doing that. Now, if you keep reading the story, and again, I recommend going and reading it, chapter 19 spells it out. And basically, these angels warn Lot and say, you got to get out of here. Don't take anything. Get out of here. So he gets his wife, his two daughters, their husbands are killed in this process, as you'll read. So he gets out of there literally with he, his wife, and his two daughters and flees town. And his wife makes the mistake to look back. And maybe you've heard about her. She looked back when the city, when just hellfire and the term hellfire brimstone comes right out of here. All hell broke loose on this town, and it was just wiped off the face of the earth. Lot's wife looked back, and she turned into a pillar of salt. Now, I don't recommend messing with God. And why did that city get destroyed? Because he couldn't find ten people, ten people who would do the right thing. Now, turn over to Ezekiel. Ezekiel 22, verse 23. And it says, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, say to her, you are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured people. Talking about the prophets that should have been helping people. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. Getting the country involved in wars in this case that God never intended. They just said, go do it. This is what God says to do. Her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between the holy and the unholy. There's no distinction anymore between what is holy or unholy. Nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and the clean. They have hidden their eyes from my Sabbaths so that I am profaned among them. Her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey to shed blood, to destroy people, and to get dishonest gain. Politicians. 
Her prophets plastered them with untempered mortar, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God, when the Lord has not said anything, when He's not even spoken. Everybody get up and go, Thus says the Lord, or God says this, and that's not what God's saying at all, it's just somebody talking. Verse 29, the people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, and mistreated the poor and needy, and they wrongfully oppressed the stranger. Now this is what God says through Ezekiel in verse 30. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. And then one of the saddest phrases in the book, verse 30, the end of it, but I found no one. You say, but it's somebody else's problem. It's not my problem. Let somebody else do it. Let me tell you something. You may be the only person standing in the gap for somebody. I don't know everybody listening to this message. I don't know your family. I don't know anything about it. You literally could be praying for someone that there is no one else on the planet praying for. And every time I sit down and talk to somebody, I had a conversation after a lunch and sat down on the edge of a stage where I'd spoken. A lady came who has been attending here. We sat there and I've known for months this struggle was going on with her. She believed there was a God, but she had never made it personal. And we sat there. I explained the gospel that God loved her, that Jesus died for her, was buried, raised from the dead. We went through the whole thing, kept it simple. It just can't be that simple, she said. Talking about this, I said, look, simple for you, easy for you, but not easy for God. Somebody died to make this possible. So we sat there, long story short, the edge of that stage, she prayed and received Christ. And I usually say this when I get done, somebody is praying for you. I don't have those conversations randomly. I know when I sit down and someone is receptive, someone is listening, someone is hungry, someone is searching, that somebody somewhere, and I don't normally do this, but how many of you know for a fact that somewhere either today or in the last few weeks or months or years of your life, you have had someone praying for you that you're specifically aware of? Now, some of you are not aware of anyone praying for you. You say, what difference does it make? Ask these people what difference it makes. Or ask yourself, if you're not aware of anybody praying for you, what a difference it makes if they're not. One person is standing in the gap. Now, I'm no expert on electricity, but it's my understanding that if you have a cable of electrical current coming out of a wall, and you have a live wire, and you're trying to get that cable somewhere else, and it doesn't reach, that a human being, you could cut that wire, expose the hot wire, I could grab one end of the wire live, I could grab the other end of the live wire, and if I were the one to stretch it long enough to get power to it, it's possible, if you survived it, it's possible, but you literally conduct electricity. You might survive it, but you could run. Now, if you let go, what would happen? You'd open the circuit, and the power that was going from the source to what needed the power would be broken. I'm telling you guys, in a spiritual sense, I believe there are people who are literally holding both ends of the cable, and God is saying, don't give up, stand in the gap. And you are interceding on behalf of somebody. And sometimes it is a few weeks, sometimes it's a few days, but sometimes, and I know as sure as I'm standing here, because I know who's in this room at least, there are moms, there are dads, there are people who have prayed for a son for 20, 30 years. And they think nothing's happening. And the devil says, give up, give them up. It ain't going to work. It ain't going to happen. Give up. And you get tired, you get weary. Hold both lines, stand in the gap, don't give up, God's doing His thing. And I'm looking in the eyeballs of people that I know someone that you know who's been praying for you, and that's why you're here. Some of you have been literally prayed into this building. You've been prayed into listening to this message somehow, and that somebody cares. Now, there are others of us 
who God's been after to grab both ends and stand in the gap for somebody. And you've got a burden for somebody and you won't step in the gap. Literally, in this case, the gap was describing an opening in the wall. Now, I live in a house with doors, windows, alarm locks, the whole deal. And I go to sleep pretty much thinking unless somebody drives a car through my front door, I'm going to be okay. If I took the front door or took just a sledgehammer and knocked a hole in the wall in, like, say, one of my daughter's bedrooms, and there was this opening in the wall where the inside is exposed to the outside, do you think I'd just go, oh, well, no big deal, we'll fix that tomorrow? If I had to, I would literally stand in that gap all night long until that hole was filled, right? Because there's something precious behind me in the house that I don't want somebody on the outside of the house, the elements, animals, strangers, whatever it is, you are literally standing in that gap. That's the picture. You have family, I have friends, we got neighbors, co-workers, people who are just not going to make it. They are living exposed to every and any kind of evil thing out there there is. They got no protection. And when you pray for them and you love them and you stick with them, you literally stand between, in some cases, the enemy and what he can ultimately do without some protection. You're between the enemy and that person standing in that hole, in that gap, in that exposed area. I am an amazingly blessed person because I can name you. I remember on January, I believe it was the 13th, 1980, when I was ordained to be a pastor. I was 20 years old and my dad preached that service, and he asked the crowd to make a commitment to pray for me every day. And there is a woman named Miss Johnson who signed up. I don't see her all the time. I couldn't even tell you today where she is. But there is a woman who made a commitment to pray for me every day. Now, if you know that kind of blessing, be that kind of blessing. Verse 30 again, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Therefore I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. Jeremiah 5.1 says this, Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. See now and know, and seek in her open places. If you can find a man, if there is anyone who executes judgment, who seeks the truth, and I will pardon her. God over and over in the Scripture says, if you can not just find ten, if you can find one person who's righteous, who's doing the right thing according to God. Now Romans chapter 3 Let me pick up with verse 9. What then are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. And as it is written, look at verse 10. He's quoting the Old Testament. There is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have all together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. No fear, no respect of God. Just do whatever you want to do. Now, guys, this is what it's all about. Over and over the Scripture, there's not one. There's no one. Let me tell you something. There is one. There is one. And where sin and the law crushed us and we were under this heavy weight and God could search and search and search and a lot of times find not one person doing the right thing. Finally, the only one who is righteousness, not just does righteously. The Bible says he is our righteousness, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood to take the place, our place, make our payment by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at this present time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Finally God got tired of looking and He said, you know what, I'll go myself. And the God of the universe, in the person of His Son, leaves heaven, comes to earth, lives a perfect life, dies a perfect sacrifice, is righteousness, lives a righteous life, and now God doesn't have to look for anybody anymore. His own Son is it. And when you, by faith in Him, look back at verse 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You get bought back. It all gets restored. It all gets cleaned up. It all gets fixed. Where now when God goes to the earth saying, I'm trying to find someone that's righteous. If you're a believer, you have been declared righteous. You're it. Now whether you're experiencing that or living that way is another question. But God says you are perfect, complete, holy, everything you need to be in Christ. And you now, because Jesus lives in you in the person of the Holy Spirit, you now have the power and the possibility to grab both ends of that cord and stand in the gap for yourself in Christ, but also for somebody else. The answer is in Jesus Christ, verse 25, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness, not ours, because in His forbearance, His patience, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. He offers grace. He offers mercy. He offers forgiveness for you and for me. Richard Ellis will return in a moment to wrap up today's talk with a few final words. But first, I want to share some important information about the program. The reason we do this is to share with you the good news. When you open your heart and life to the saving grace of Jesus Christ, that's the beginning point of the most amazing journey you'll ever experience. But it's also a journey that we want to join with you. So if you've been on this road for a while or just getting started, let us know how we can help. Maybe you've got some questions, stuck in neutral, or even wondering how to take the next breath. We're here. Give us a call at 855-6-RICHARD. You can also connect with us through our website, richardellistalks.com. We're here to celebrate with you too. So if this program has made a difference to you and encouraged you in any way, tell us about it. Let's keep this conversation going by giving us a call at 855-6-RICHARD. You can also send us an email through our website, richardellistalks.com. That would really make our day to know how Richard's talks have helped you. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD or email us through the website richardellistalks.com. And speaking of the messages, you can find today's talk along with every message from Richard at our website richardellistalks.com. Finally, we really believe that these talks with Richard are making a difference in your life. So this is how you can make a difference to ours. You can contribute to this ministry by giving us a call at 855-6-RICHARD or at our website, richardellistalks.com. We would be so grateful for your gifts. And Richard's back now to wrap up today's talk. 
Now what keeps me and you from standing in the gap? Sin in our own life. We're all wet. And the last thing you want to do is grab two cables all wet. We got so much junk in our own lives, in our own heart. No matter what God says, we don't believe it, we don't live it. But if you will get full, if you will allow God to live in you and fill you and walk in you and through you in such a way, it'll get beyond you. Have you ever noticed when someone starts to mature and really grow up as a believer, it's not about them. Little kids, it's all about me, 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 me. But when you mature and grow up, you say, you know what, God, you're going to take care of me. I got some basic needs, but you've met them. It's about somebody else. Now you find yourself one of the number one signs of Christian maturity is you'll find that your prayers reach out, not look in all the time. It's not about me. It's not about my problems and my needs all the time. I'll throw them up there. God, take care of me. I know you will. But it's about my brother, my sister, my friend, my coworker, my neighbor, whoever it may be. And God, I'm here and whatever it costs me, I'll stand in the gap. And that's what God asks you to do. Do your part. Stand in the gap. And when he goes looking for somebody, don't say, well, let somebody else do it. Let somebody else vote. Let somebody else pay the price. Not me, God. You be the one to stand in that hole for somebody else to stand in the gap and say, God, use me. I'm available. I'm willing. If somebody else has done it for me, I want to do it for someone else now. This has been Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. There's only one reason we do this program, to take the planet with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's our message and our mission. And you have a vital part of doing that along with us. If you've been encouraged by these talks with Richard, be sure to share with someone about the change they've made in your life. And we'd love to hear your story as to how the talks have made a difference to you. Give us a call. We'd love to talk with you. 855-6-RICHARD. You can also reach us through our website, richardellistalks.com. And while you're there, check out all the fun and informative pages we put together for you, richardellistalks.com. While you're there, be sure to click on the Contribute tab at the top to send your generous gift. If the program is making a difference to you, your gift will make a big difference to us. Until next time, thanks so much for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.